the Father Yahweh. I pray the sharing of this word to my brothers and sisters encouragement for prayer, for faith, for trust, Father God, in you. For you are sovereign over all things. It doesn't matter what's going on around us and what presses in, Father God, that we must trust you to lead and guide. Father God, you did so with the nation. The cloud by day and the fire by night, you were with them to show them you were constantly there, Father God. And in our currency was put in God we trust to help to remind the people that you are there for us. And now, sadly, Father, there are those that want to erase that. Father God, you are sovereign. Heal this nation, Father. Hear our cries. Your word tells us that if we cry out to you in repentance, you will hear and heal. Father God, I pray for these elected officials that are in position of their authority. Some of them, their actions are so egregious to the people, Father God, but to guide them Bring them off the path of darkness, Father, into the light to do the right thing, Father God, for their strength. And some of them are being manipulated and are puppets, Father God. I see that. You see that. Hear our cry, Father God. Heal this land. Yahweh, Hama, Yahshua, Hama, Parakitos, Hama. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are in power and God is sovereign, no matter what some of these folks may think. Now, remember, brothers and sisters, that I was sharing to you about Paul's writing to the churches and telling them about ceaseless prayer and pray continuously and that it's possible to do. And I shared with you some of the ways. Well, the Bible has examples of that actually. Um, and we have to just remember that sometimes there's so much that's going on around us and that we need to pray. And the Holy Spirit is our guide and he will direct our prayers and we don't even know what to pray over. Uh, I love one of my teachers. Um, you know, some of you may have heard of him or not, or opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My opinion is what I, I see in him is a man of God. I love to listen to David Jeremiah, and he is constantly in the word, constantly sharing the scriptures to back up everything he says. He doesn't stand on the podium and dictate anecdotal tales of life and then not back anything up with scripture. Yeah, I get anecdotal because I'm an old guy and that's allowed. You have to, well, you don't have to, but I would hope that you would forgive that. But I mean, trying to be a wise guy. Um, the word of God backs up what I share. And I'm not going to share anything with you that does not have scriptural content, context, sorry, that it does not have scriptural context. What I share with you is truth, and I have shared with you also to try the spirit of what I tell you. And if it is not 
of God, then flee from it. I've done that myself. But I have no doubt in my mind that what I share with you, and I've prayed over this, is condoned and agreed with my Lord. What I have prayed over on loose on earth is prayed over in heaven. And it is agreed upon that what I'm sharing is the good news gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And as long as I stay righteous and true to that, God is going to uplift me in that. I don't doubt that at all. I've also shared with you the importance of prayer and the contractual agreement and the trust in God. I signed with a pen that was filled with the blood of Jesus Christ that God handed to me to sign the blank contract. The contract had no writing on it. But you see, I trust my God, and it doesn't matter what he decides to add to that contract or not. That doesn't make any difference. How should I argue with the fact that his only begotten son, part of him, came to this earth and sacrificed himself unto death for me, and I'm supposed to bicker about some wording in a contract that God makes with me? I don't think so. So anyway, that being said, prayer is important, and he will direct us by consulting with him in prayer, and the Holy Spirit will guide our words of what we to say. Forward is the direction that our Father desires for us to move on to. Stagnant or backwards is where the devil wants us to be. He doesn't want us moving forward. The direction he wants us to go is backwards. And he will send his minions to try to knock us off the path and to get us distracted, crooked, whatever. If he wants us to take a wrong turn. That's a desire and his goal, and he will send his serpents and scorpions after us to get us to do so. But here's... Here's the thing here. There's a, a per, and speaking of, of the prayer and how important it is. Nehemiah is actually studied by numerous businessmen, uh, CEOs, executives of companies, and entrepreneurs because of his leadership skills and his ability to guide. And that ability was placed in him by God. But there are business people that appreciate what Nehemiah was about. Now, they might be of the secular world, not Christian, and they might not even realize. But let me explain something to you here in this, brothers and sisters. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I chuckle a little bit because here's the inspired word of God, the truth, the word of God, and there are Secular companies, not Christian believers, but they study the Bible because the way of the word of God is valuable in life lessons. This here for Christians is our instruction manual of life. But there are businesses that utilize it as their guide on how they should operate. And they're not Christian believers, but they study the Bible. Now, let me pose this to you, brothers and sisters. If they're studying the Bible and they're not even Christian, 
How be it that there are Christians that can't get into the Word? There are cultural Christians. Remember I shared that with you? There are people that believe that just because they carry it around, they're going to absorb Christianity. Because they walk within a block of the church or they go by the side door of the church, they're going to absorb that Christianity out of the building. They don't fellowship. They don't pray over dinner. They don't go until uh, either the husband or the wife, depending, because it works both ways, is going to pester them to get this special uh, Christmas Eve ceremony or uh, or a program or Easter sunrise service. And unless they're pestered about it, they're going to sit home and watch the game. And they're going to eat hot dogs and drink beer and watch football or just hang out and watch movies and not go to church. There are folks that claim to be Christian that do that. It's just the truth. And if that hurts somebody's feelings, well, I have something to say about that. Too bad, so sad. Truth is truth. Prayer is powerful and is a channel that when we consult with God, this is how we receive direction from him. In our prayers, he talks us. He does speak to us. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And if you have a desire to move forward and do according to the contractual agreement with God and trust him, Remember to pray that way. Pray that same way. Desiring to move forward. Pray to move forward. God's guidance. So, in about 586 BC, the captivity of Israel and tearing down the walls, the temple, took place. And that caused great concern in Nehemiah when he had heard about what had done. His, his city, his temple, his people had been taken into captivity. And he had heard these things from those that escaped. And this, this hurt him deeply. And... He prayed. He was serving as the cutman for uh, the Persian king in the city of Sushan. And that he was there. And, and as I said, the report that came back from those that escaped the uh, onslaught there came and reported to him. And Nehemiah 1, verse 3, I read in part, the remnant that are left of the captivity therein and the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burnt with fire. And this is the word that came back to him and it just broke his heart. And in doing so, Nehemiah started praying. He, he wept and he put himself into fasting and praying and, and seeking God's will and the direction. And, and he was unsure that if the king, Xerxes, was going to even allow him to go or anything that was going on. And 
bear in mind here that when uh, it was actually forbidden for anyone to come into the presence of the king with a dour countenance or they were sad or they held their head down and didn't hold their head up and look at the king and in sadness that they could actually be put to death but the king didn't like it but here's just here's the thing that that is so amazing about Circe and and uh actually nebuchadnezzar at the same time and but more importantly is the power that god had has over all things his sovereignty and that Nehemiah was not actually in captivity. He was just uh, basically in service to Xerxes. Um, whereas Daniel, Hananiah, and Zariah, Mishael, they were in, they were captives, but they even had extended privileges and were put in high authority within the kingdom of Babylon. This was because of God's hand and they were in the shadow of the wings of our Lord God Almighty. So Nehemiah went to the king and he wasn't uh, sure if he would permit him to go or to Jerusalem and that was his desire to go. And here's a quotation from Dr. Jeremiah. A prayerful heart is fertile ground for divine ideas. So, Nehemiah and his righteousness, his prayerful attitude, and his going to God, his ideas were popping. And he was called and he had to go before the king. And remember what I said about being able to be prayerful without 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 ending and ceaseless prayer and just being able to do it, not having to be in a, in a prayerful posture and, and, uh, or a kneeling posture or some things that people believe that you can only go before the throne of God if you're kneeling or you know, you're standing a certain way and you have to close your eyes, bow your heads, this sort of thing. Well, no, that's not actually accurate information. You can pray standing on your feet with your eyes open, lifting your hands to heaven and lifting your head up and looking toward the heaven's throne and pray. You can pray with your eyes closed. You can pray while you're moving around the house. I pray when I'm doing my job and going down the road, but I have to keep my eyes open because not good things can happen. God honors the prayer of the heart. Not in what your face looks like or where you're standing. That doesn't matter. What matters to God is your prayerful heart. That being said, so Nehemiah was uh, praying that God would show him the way and, and, and what was true. And as long as we humble ourselves as he did in our approach and prayerfully ask for his way, God will honor that, just like Nehemiah did in Psalm 25, 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. That is what the import of prayer is. And we have to pray that way because it's God's will anyway. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven when the 
disciples asked Jesus to teach him how to pray, that's how he taught them to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name, Father God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not mine because I'm praying for it to be that you would help me out in my way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that in the strength that you provide me that I'm praying for, Father, is that I am able to perform in your way and your will. That's the prayer. And Nehemiah 1, 5 through 6 is the prayer of Nehemiah that he prayed to God. In James 5, 15 and 16 speaks of the power that can be found in prayer. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if you are righteous in your heart, and you pray earnestly, for that, and you pray for one another as the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do. Not only in James 15 and 16 does it say we're supposed to do that, Paul exhorted Timothy Titus. He taught his students that this is how we're supposed to pray. When he wrote the letters to all the churches, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, to the church in Rome, to the church in Ephesus, when he was writing to them, he exhorted all of them to pray one for another. And many of those churches were beset on all sides. The church in Rome and Philippi, surrounded, and all sorts of things were going on. The church in Philippi, when he wrote to them and he told them not to be anxious toward anything, they were so concerned because all around, they were, they were in the smack dab middle of a number of different cultures. Part of the Roman Empire was on one side, part of the Greek was on the other, and they all were praying to different gods. They were all... Uh, pretty much pointing their finger at the church there and they were catching grief. So they were, they were pretty agitated about what was going on. And he exhorted them to pray one for another, lift each other up in prayer. Prayer is the conduit of the divine energy that is of our Lord. Paul exhorted us to pray without ceasing. And he reminded us that it's actually easily done. And here's a, here's a really good example of this. In Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5, Nehemiah was on his way to the throne because he was called to the throne to bring wine. Verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make requests? So I prayed to God of heaven, and I said unto the king, now, I read that in part to you because here was that instantaneous prayer thing I was talking about and that I shared with you. Pray without seeing the possibility. Did Nehemiah throw himself into a prayer posture of his knees or stand there with his hands up in the air and drop the, 
the tray of the wine goblets and the wine all over the palatial uh, dice? No, he did not, because that would have got him in big trouble and probably would have got his head cut off. He didn't do that. He was walking up to the throne, carrying the goblet and the wine on the trays, and he was praying to God, saying, God, I need your guidance in this, and, and uh, your will be done. And he throw, and then he responded to the king because he wasn't quite sure how he should respond to the king. But the king saw the countenance on Nehemiah's face, and he knew, because Nehemiah had been serving in the palace for a while, and he knew that something was troubling Nehemiah, but he didn't punish him because he wasn't happy. He knew Nehemiah's heart was was a good heart, and he knew. And God's hand, I I believe, as he did with uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ansariah, his hand was on them, and, and it allowed their countenance to be other than what it was with other people. So King Xerxes knew the heart of Nehemiah, and he realized. So he didn't punish him when he saw that his face was sad. And then, of course, Nehemiah answered the truth. But the point that I'm making is that while he was walking and carrying the tray, and he was in the presence of the king, Nehemiah prayed to God, prayed to the sovereign king, Lord God of all things. And God honored his prayer because of Nehemiah's heart. It had nothing to do with the prayer posture or how he was standing. It has to do with the heart. God knows our hearts. And there are things that God knows more and better about ourselves than we do. Remember, God made us. It has nothing to do with our prayer posture during our prayers, but everything about our heart. The import to our Father is the heart of those that pray to him. God loves our prayers. He loves us to talk to him. I've shared this with you before. He keeps them in little golden vials and opens them because the odor of our prayers is like sweet incense to him. He loves to have our prayers. And nowhere in the word of God does it ever promise that there will not be tumultuous times and there won't be turmoil. But also in his word, throughout the word, God promises to be with us and he reminds us to pray and he tells us to be of strong courage and to pray one for another. Constantly, he tells us that. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that everything's going to be great. And here are my God-made rose-tinted glasses for you to wear so that when you walk through life, everything will be tinted like a rose garden. It's going to be beautiful always. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say that. But it reminds us of everything else that through all things and in all things, that we worship God, we pray to God, we, we praise God, and we will be carried through. And the joy of the Lord is my strength, not the happenings having anything to do with my happiness. Do not allow the circumstances to govern what 
you are. If you are a Christian and a follower of God, trust him and follow him. It doesn't matter which way he goes. When I've asked God, he tells me we're going this way because your enemies can't swim. I know you can, and besides that, I'm holding your hand, so all will be okay. That I trust. That I believe. I don't care about any of the other stuff that goes on out there, and I I get saddened by the things that I see that are going on with this government and the way people are treating one another, but you know what? That's not going to govern my happiness or take that from me. And here's, uh, let me share this while I open up that can of worms. It drives me bonkers when I sit here and say, oh, I've been robbed of my joy. I've been robbed of my happiness. The devil has robbed me of that. He's robbed me of this. Let me tell you and remind you of this. Jesus Christ said that we have the authority over the serpents and, and scorpions. That's Bible speak for the demons. We have authority over Satan himself, believe it or not. Yes, boys and girls, we do. By the blood of Jesus Christ who came and wrested the keys from him, he just reached out and took those keys over death and imprisonment of bondage that we have. But his goal is to try to make us think that we are there. And if we allow that to happen, then we are giving that to him. They have no authority to take and steal and rob anything. So when someone says, the devil has robbed me of my joy, the devil has robbed me of my comfort, no, you gave it up, you surrendered it. That, my friends, is the only authority, and this is by the word of Jesus Christ, our Lord, King, and Savior, when he was speaking to the disciples. That is the only thing that they can do, is if we hand them the box of our joy and happiness and hand it to them and let them walk away with it, that's the only way they can take it. They cannot rob it. If we surrender it, then they can carry it away. So now I'm done being bonkers. Back to reality. <laughs> that is reality. There are people and Sadly, there are people that are claiming to be Christians that use that terminology. Oh, I'm feeling so down today. I feel like the devil's just robbed me of my joy. The devil's just robbed me of my happiness. No, he didn't. You surrendered it. You gave it to him. You put it in a nice, neat, tidy package, put a bow around it, and you handed it to him and said, here you go. I don't want to be happy today. Here, take it and go away for a while. When I want to be happy again, I'll let you know. It doesn't work that way, but that's how they allow it to happen. Allowing them to take it from us and carry it away. That's the only way it can happen. And in reminding you, brothers and sisters, of the prayer, back to praying, back to reality. <laughs> Throughout the Bible, he promises that he's going to be with us. Remind us that we need to pray and keep one another upright and of strong courage. To exhort one another, provoking one another to good works to pray for each other. But know this too. God's way will be, and may not be what we had in mind, but God's way will be the way it happens. God's will be done. Proverbs 16, 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, 
and he will establish your plans. That's in the uh, New International Version. Commit is trust, and we must trust God. In the King James Version, it says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So when we commit to that, that means that we trust God. We are going to give him that. I mean, think about it, brothers and sisters. When we get on the airplane and we have our children with us or, you know, other loved ones and, and things, and it was our idea to go, we're committing our trust to the pilot, the maintenance crew of that jet aircraft, that it's going to be and do what it's meant to do, fly. So we commit to that. Why is it of such difficult proportions for us to commit to God? You know, kind of, I scratch the back of my head sometimes thinking about that. We have faith in the mechanic, faith in the pilot, faith in so many other things. And yet we have difficulty with having faith in God. And yet people, when they try to reason that with me, and I just kind of let them go ahead and, and talk about it, uh, well, I can't see God. I can't, you know, it's not tangible. Well, did you see the mechanic do the work on your car that they billed you for and said that they did? Did you check the oil to see that it was clear and fresh and not black and had grit and everything in it? Did you do that? Did you check the rotors and drums to make sure that they were turned and replaced like the mechanic said and billed you for? No, but you trust that they did it. Did you do a pre-flight inspection on the aircraft, which the pilots are supposed to do before they take off? Actually, you didn't know that, but that's true. Pilots are supposed to do a pre-flight. They're supposed to go out and check the instrumentation and kind of do a walk around and make sure that there's no armature or anything that's dangling down on the uh, lift mechanism for the aircraft wheels. They're supposed to do that. Did you see them do that? No, because you were in putting your luggage in the overhead. You were in trying to get your seat. You were battling up and down the aisles. And kids were running amok. So you didn't see that, but you trust that it was done. Okay, so you didn't see them do that. And you don't see God, but you look around and you see all the stuff on the planet that exists because of his power and his might and his authority, and that by him all things consist, but you can't have faith in him, but you have faith in those things of the temporal world. Puzzling, at any rate. We are having to remember that and remember this too, I borrowed this from uh, Dr. Jeremiah. I like this quote. Success does not mean health, wealth, fame, and fortune. Success is a fulfillment of his plans in my life. So my father God creates success in my life to fulfill the purpose that I was meant to fulfill and that I get to share the good news gospel of Christ and make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear that before they have to leave this world. And that's fulfillment, and that is success. Satan will hurl his minions against us, 
to knock us off our path. Hold on to the word of God, his promises, praise him in all things. And that we must have that. And just as a small footnote and a postscript to this thing with Nehemiah, when he went and he had gone back to the people and the Circes allowed him to go, gave him notes of conscripts so that he could get materials and that he had uh, protection with him. And he, but he didn't have any equipment. He didn't have anything. But he got back there and the walls around Jerusalem were completed in 52 days. They got it done. And they got it done because of the will of the Father God and the fervent prayers of Nehemiah and his concern. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I do pray for this nation every day. I pray for the government elders and leader, elders of the church and the elected officials of this country because let me let me tell you, some of the activities that are, are going on and some of the despicable things that are being said and done, the egregious behavior that is taking place, and I'm talking about in the church, in the house of God as well, in, the, in his house, but they've turned it into other things. I'm going to share this one with you. I, I just, just to let you know that the Holy Spirit listens, guides, and keeps. I was going to a particular church, and I won't say it, and I won't say who the pastor is. And, um, you know, it's a father-son little tag team thing that they do, which is okay. But here's the thing that I found that was so terribly disappointing and, and really um, was self-serving. They had, their band was there and they were performing like a live rock concert, really over loud, overbearing, and the little smoke machine that they had going on. And I looked around and there were, there were parents that were holding their hands over their children's ears. Well, a couple problems there. Number one, that the elders of the church didn't have any concern for that. Uh, number two, that the parents didn't seem to have any concern because they stayed in the auditorium with the children. Sorry, but I'm, no, I'm not sorry. Um, I would have taken my children out and gone to the other room. There's a, there's a room that was there um, where they can sit and watch what's going on in the service. So should have done that. Yeah, but they didn't. Well, therein lies the fault. At any rate, um, I went to speak to the pastor about the the volume. And, you know, before saying anything, I, I shook his hand and gave me a little nod, you know, and he was very, his face was very plain and his wife was standing next to him and she reached her hand out right away to shake it and smiled and greeted. And then I said, you know, pastor, let me ask, and I never got the rest of my sentence out. And here come... Uh, plainclothes security guys actually made physical contact with me. And by the letter of the law, that that's assault and the way they did it, came up and bumped chests with me to push me back. And I said, excuse me, I'm just trying to have a word with the pastor. No, you're not. And didn't permit me to talk. And then I heard the voice. And then, uh, you know, uh, one of the guys unbuttoned his jacket, and I don't know what he was reaching back for if he was going to. But it appeared that it was going to become or they were going to ensue something more physical. 
This was in the foyer of the church, the house of God, right before going into the uh, into the sanctuary. And I looked at him, and I looked at them, and I mean right straight in the eye. And I looked at him, and I asked, really, in the house of the Lord, this is permitted? Very sad, never been back. The Holy Spirit was speaking to my ear and saying, it is. In no uncertain terms, this is not the place that you should be. And I left, and the friends, brother and sister that were with me, had not been back there either. Because they were standing right there. They, they witnessed it take place. And so... You know, there was nothing aggressive, no behavior on my part at all. Let me explain this to you about that. I spent quite a number of years in the service in the United States Marine Corps. I have served during some very tumultuous times during this country. I'm a Vietnam era veteran. I had friends that died in Beirut, Lebanon. We were stationed together in the same units. I have seen things. I had been places. Had I been the way I was, I can say honestly that those police officers that were wherever they were at at the time that this stuff happened, they would have probably had me arrested in, in handcuffs and we would have been going if I had been the man that I was. I don't know who these other guys were. But the Holy Spirit had a hold of me, and he just said, and then explain. this is how good God is and the Holy Spirit is. He then explained to me, because it was, a, a you know, the, it seemed like great fellowship and all that. But in the a couple times that I had actually been there uh, prior to making the decision to attempt to speak to the pastor, because of the extreme loud noise level and the smoke, the uncomfortable pre-service deal or pre-sermon deal. But here's the other thing, that each message that was shared was identical to the previous, except for one or two verses that were changed, but it was all about money. So, Where their heart, where their treasure is, so lies their heart. That was what was quite evident. Evident to me is that their interest, their idol, and their true God is mammon and money. And the Holy Spirit grabbed me up, and then as we're leaving, I mean, he was talking. He says, "You understand? No uncertain terms." This is not where you need to be. He allowed it to go to the point that it went to make sure that I had a good hold on the fact that I was not supposed to be there. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, brothers and sisters. I love you. And I'm blathering on because I'm, that's just how I get with the Holy Spirit uh, leading and talking and when I talk about the Word of God. I love you. Bless you. Have a good day. Be blessed. Walk in the light and goodness of the Lord. Father God, I pray that the sharing of this word is 
use for your design and purpose, Lord, the uprightness, encouragement of my brothers and sisters so that they will walk and be boldly encouraged to declare their faith in you, Father God, and that we recognize your sovereignty over all things, all things, Father God. doesn't matter what's being said around us, Father God, you are sovereign Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Abba. Yahweh, Aman. Yahshua, Aman. Parakletos, Aman. Praiseworthy. Brothers and sisters, um, encountering a little technical difficulty on these things, but I'm learning how to go before these things and how to share this. I shared with you already that this was um, something new to me. So um, I've never done this sort of thing before. So it's interesting. What I want to talk about here is, is continuing in our, our faith and, and prayer that we have, that we have to continue doing this. We have to be faithful and understand. Um, there are those amongst us, and I have seen it, I've witnessed it, that will hold back. And, and also, too, let me, let me interject here that guilty of this thing, my own self. Um, not so much anymore. But as a kid growing up, you never asked dad or mom for anything because you were afraid that they were going to say no. Um, as a child of God, we don't ask God for certain things or we don't pray to him because we're afraid he's going to say no. So we hold the back on that. Um, my mom used to have this saying that she always uh, would go on when if I looked a little despondent or uh, held my lip a little pouty because I got told no, mom would always remind me, she said, no is an answer too. So here's the thing, when God responds and it's not to our liking or it might be a no, no is an answer too. And he's telling us no because in our perspective, we can't see what he has already seen. He sees how beyond what we're getting into or what's coming. And he knows that right now the no might be necessary because what's coming at us later on or down the road or even what he has planned later on will be a resounding yes that will be so exciting and so eventful for that. So we have to be prepared and understand that, that when God says no, it, it's only for a time being. God, God has better plans. God's design and his plans are always better than what we have. Don't look at it as a matter of our perspective. And don't only ask for what's possible in my mindset or our mindset. We have to go before God boldly, not arrogantly, boldly, righteously, not indignantly and not arrogantly. And we can also remind God that he's promised us certain things. That's okay. God does not mind that. All right? He does not mind that. Um, you don't have to go and stand before God like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. If, if any of you have never seen that, well, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But they go before the Wizard of Oz, the floating head, the, the almighty, powerful, all-knowing Oz, and giant uh, projected voice uh, out over the hall and this giant floating head with the smoke, but it's all an illusion. 
so that frightens the cowardly lion. And so he's up there shaking and trembling as he's got to talk to Oz. But we don't have to approach God like that. God is real. God is true. God is omnipotent. He sees everything and he knows everything anyway. But he likes us to come and speak to him. He likes us to talk to him. We are his children. He is a good, good father. Don't go to God's throne in arrogance or unrighteousness and just go up there and be demanding, but boldly ask his will in the way and direction of your prayer. He does not mind that. We can see the boldness that Joshua had in 6.5 and God told and gave him certain things and he exercised his faith in God of what God told him. And it's kind of hard to imagine if you've never been in the military, but I've been in the military and some brothers and sisters out there may have been and they know and understand what I'm talking about. When you get a really oddball order and you know, you, you sort of wonder, you question, what the heck is he talking about? And you have to understand that at the time that this was taking place, Joshua and Caleb were the only righteous men that had come out of the captivity in Egypt. The nation of Israel had been trimmed because when in their wandering in the wilderness, the generation that were the idol worshipers and those that were following those idols and had been complaining about the manna and the quail and all these things that God had provided for them, that generation had passed. The only one that was left out of that original is Joshua and Caleb. And they were leading the nation of Israel and leading them in the ways of the Lord and making certain that Israel was following what God had to say. He stood in his faith and on the promise of God. So the direction that God gave Joshua when they were getting ready to go down to Jericho was that they were going to walk around the city, that the Ark of the Covenant was going to go before and the ram's horns were going to be blown and that was it. And then they were going to retire for the night. And of course, the soldiers, I'm quite certain, probably questioned this, possibly questioned it or being any military person they questioned what Joshua was thinking. But then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and after completing the seventh time, then they started to shout and cry Hosanna and praise and hallelujah to God. He praiseworthy that he is. The walls came tumbling down. The city of Jericho was flattened. The only one that survived in there was Rahab and her family because they helped the spies that came in to see what was going on. And she helped them. She helped them escape because they were looking for them. So she was spared and she was adopted into the nation of Israel. And now the city of Jericho, came, the walls came tumbling down. There's an old song about that. And this was because they had followed the directions of God and they obeyed and they, they did so in their faith. 
and Daniel 2 relates to the prayers of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, that they stood faithful to their ways, their beliefs, their faith in God. And they spent 70 years in captivity. And again, this took place because the nation of Israel had turned their back indignantly, griping about God. And they complained, they griped, and they... And then they started intermarrying and worshiping idols and taking their worship away from God and giving it to false idols and false gods. So they fell into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful king and the most powerful empire at the time, and they were in captivity for 70 years. However, you have three, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they did not step down in cowardice. They did not step aside and compromise their faith and become apologetic, but they didn't stand up to Nebuchadnezzar and be confrontational. However, the Chaldeans and the counselors, they tried to, uh, they lied about Daniel and, and uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah. They lied about them and they went to Nebuchadnezzar with lies. And because the power of God and them standing in their faith and their belief in God, actually that backfired on the Chaldeans. They took the Chaldeans that lied when Daniel was put in the den of lions and Nebuchadnezzar recognized that it was the power and Daniel's faith in God that spared him and shut the mouths of lions. And the Chaldeans and those that came forth with the lies, they were tossed into the den of lions. And their, one of their complaints was that, oh, somebody came and secretly fed the lions so Daniel was spared. Well, they found out that that wasn't true because when they got tossed in, the lions, they had them for lunch. And then... You have Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They were thrown in the furnace. And the guards that took them to put them in the furnace were consumed by the flame and the heat at the mouth of the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar on his throne to observe and watch them burn up observed something different, something far different, something unexpected, something before that time was only a hint to him because he knew that they worshiped God. He saw the fourth man in the furnace. He saw the fourth man that was walking around freely with them in the furnace. He saw the fourth man that was like unto the Son of God. And here's the question. How did he know that? Jesus had never been mentioned before. It wasn't even anything other than the prophecies that he would come and he would be born. So how did he know that this was the Son of God? Because of the authority that comes and precedes the Son of God, the authority that comes before him, the bold authority of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ gave to us. When Jesus Christ went before the disciples, when they came to the man who was running amok in the tombs in the cemetery, and he came and Jesus confronted him, nobody introduced 
the man to Jesus. Nobody said, hey, crazy one, this is Jesus Christ, son of God. He's leading us and teaching us. Nobody did that. However, the man fell and the demons recognized the authority of Jesus Christ and they complained. They said, Jesus Christ, the son of God, what have thou to do with us? They recognized his authority. No introduction necessary. They knew who he was. That isn't the first time. There was another possessed of demons. And their same question, what have thou to do with us, ye son of God? They recognize the authority. They know who Jesus Christ is. Nebuchadnezzar knew who Jesus Christ was, is, because he recognized him and that authority that preceded him even in the fiery furnace. Jesus Christ has given us authority over the serpents and the scorpions, which is Bible speak for the demons, the minions of Satan that come and hound us constantly and try to get us to be meek and mild and not to come before God in prayers and to forget prayers because we think that God's going to say no. The ideas get gnawing in our minds. Our minds must focus on God. Our mindset and our perception must be on the truth, the way of God's word. Satan knows that our mind is the weakest point of attack. It doesn't matter your intellectual prowess, how much you have, how much you don't have. It doesn't make any difference because mind is the weakest point of attack and Satan knows that. So he gets in there constantly and gets us agitated and stirred up with thoughts of negativity or he comes in in other means to distract us. Brothers and sisters, we do not have to deal with that. We have to, we don't have to. We have been given authority by Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, over the snakes and the scorpions. And all we have to do is claim the righteousness of his blood and rebuke that in Jesus' name. I rebuke that in Jesus' name, the blood of Jesus. We have been washing that blood the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Jesus Christ told us that when he left, that there would be one that he would pray to the Father to send in his place to teach, to guide, and to lead us. The comforter, the Holy Spirit. What good is a comforter if you toss it and fold it on the back of a couch and you just look at it? On a chilly night, you're sitting there shaking because you don't want to use this pretty comforter because it's only to look at. Well, nope. Comforter's coming down. It's going to keep me warm. It's going to be used for what it's intended for. The comforter of the Holy Spirit is intended to teach and guide and lead us through life. And if we don't exercise our way to the comforter by saying, show me, I don't understand, help me, and don't pray that, what good does it do? None. All right, brothers and sisters, we need to be bold in our declaration to God. Do not come to God indignantly, arrogantly, and tell him, hey, you need to do that. No, it doesn't happen that way because you will get a resounding no, and you may find out that God is not really appreciative of that and might take more from you than what you intended. So you come respectfully, prayerfully, 
fearfully, auspiciously fearful of God's authority and his sovereignty, respectfully, humbly. You don't have to, being humble doesn't mean you're a coward. Being humble just means that you present yourself in his authority and his sovereignty and that you are not his equal. That's, you just don't come up there and try to take over. God is sovereign. He is Lord God, creator of all things. You have to respect that. You must respect that. The Bible tells us to do so. But it doesn't tell us to be cowardly when we come to God. We can come to God in bold anticipation of answer to prayer, reminding God of his promises. He doesn't mind that. Brothers and sisters, God does not mind us reminding him of promises. David in Psalm 32, 7 reminded God, he declared of God, Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. Selah. That's pretty cool. Psalm 34, 7, the anger of the Lord in the angel, sorry, the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. So the angels of God encompass around us. And here's a really fine example. I, I shared this with you, I, I believe, before. And uh, before I jump to that, I'm going to share Hebrews 13, 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Those are all really great and, and bold and powerful declarations. Now, the one I wanted to share with you, which is very cool, and I shared this with you before when I was allowed to see my angel. And in Second Kings, actually... 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. Okay, the city was encompassed about the enemies and they were uh, going to come in and, and uh, wreak havoc up here, right? And then you have Elisha, whose young helper was concerned and frightened. And so here's the prayer. Elisha prayed. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, he went out on the, on the balcony. Behold, an host compassed the city, both with horse and chariot. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do? We're surrounded. They're coming in. They're going to take us out. But then Elisha, and he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha asked that the young man's eyes would be open and that he could see in the mountains from whence the help cometh. 
the angels of the Lord were there. Chariots of fire, horses of fire there. And the vision that I had of my angel to remind me that even in my night of doubt and when the demons that those come in to shake and rattle my mindset and try to get me to focus on those that have died in my arms and focus on those that have passed and that I wasn't there and, and all of these things that they try to get into my mind. God showed me who stands with me. And why should I worry about the serpents and the scorpions that come in the darkness when the light is shed that they scurry into their hiding place? They cannot stand in the light. They cannot share the light because the light is truth. My guardian angel was there guarding the bridge that they used to come in the dark. I don't fear them. I don't like them, but I don't fear them. And I boldly declare the promises of God that they will be there. God promises that he will be with us wherever we go. He promises that. We can turn our head and merely whisper to the side, say his name out loud. The farthest distance he ever is, is the distance from our knees to the floor. That's not very far. But he's always around. He's always watching. He likes us to be bold in declaration to him and declaring our faith, walking in him, seeing him. Come boldly, not arrogantly. Come righteously, not selfishly. That we come and we declare the Lord God in our faith to him and remind him of his promises to us. He does not mind I promise you that. He doesn't mind us reminding him. Brothers and sisters, you have a blessed day. Boldly step out into the world. Boldly approach the throne of God in prayer. Not in arrogance. Not in indignation. Not disrespectfully. Humbly approach the throne of God. Respectfully, righteously, uprightly, boldly. Don't have to be like the cowardly lion. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I hope this word is encouraging. That's all my intention is for it to be encouraging. Have a good day, a blessed day.